Go back with me to the book of Proverbs chapter four. Where do we go from here? That's the question. You know, when you experience something like we did last weekend, especially when there's weeks and weeks and weeks building up to it and the expectation and the anticipation is building and, and you experience what we did. I mean, I'm telling you, we experienced good things together as a church. It was something that I believe has marked the timeline and the life of this church, but not just this house, your house. And uh, the question is always, where do you go from there? Lord, what do you do from here? What's next? And uh, in seeking the Lord about this, it came back strong in my heart uh, about what we launched into together in this plan to expand project. But if you remember, we looked at scriptures about not just expanding naturally, but expanding on the inside first. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, he said, I'm running hard after your commandments. You expand, you enlarge my heart. You enlarge my heart. It's one thing to desire to expand outwardly. I mean, we're talking about expanding a building. We're talking about expanding inside, outside, you know, paving new parking lot, putting in new entrance and turn lanes. All those things are great. They're all wonderful. Even expanding a worldwide outreach with, with new and improved equipment. All those things are great. I believe the Lord would have us to have all those things. But there's expansion that's got to take place somewhere else first. The expansion of the heart is what has to happen first. The enlarging of the heart. Because everything God does for you, everything God wants to get to you, he's got to get it through your heart first. And like we've already said, if he can't get it in your heart, he can't get it in your hand. It's got to get through your heart first. And there's so many people that, like we've, like we've said, they want to fuss with you about the nature of God and the character of God and, and, and what God will do and what God won't do and the sovereignty of God. And it all boils down for so many people to what they have or haven't experienced. And they think, well, if I haven't experienced it, it must not be God's will. Or they think if somebody else didn't experience it, it must not be God's will. But the problem with that is that is allowing experience to limit expectation. Are you listening? We must never be guilty of letting experience yours or somebody else's limit be the limiting factor on what you will expect from God. Somebody else's experience is not the limiting factor of what you can expect. The word of God paints a picture for what you can expect. But the question still remains, if it is God's will to do it, or if it is God's will for you to have it, and if he's big enough to do it, why don't you? Why don't I have it? Why, don't, why aren't we experiencing more of it? And we do ourselves and our families a huge disservice to shift the blame of that to God. It's not his fault. Just because somebody has failed to receive something is not his fault. It doesn't mean he didn't give it. Are you hearing me? So much of the time, the problem was in the heart. The heart wasn't expanded enough, enlarged enough to receive it. I'll hold your place right here. We'll look at this, but 
Go to the book of Ephesians. And look at chapter three, I believe. Just begin reading in verse 14. Ephesians 3, 14 says, For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you. So this is the Spirit of God praying through this man named Paul. And you can always go back to these, these Ephesian prayers, these prayers that were prayed in the New Testament, and you can pray these same things for you, for your own life, for your own family. Because if you'll be led in what you pray and not just pray, I think my grandfather used to call it shotgun prayers. You know what a shotgun prayer is? Well, you know what a shotgun is, right? It's one blast that has a big wide array and it's like, surely we'll hit something. Well, people pray like that. People pray these big blasts of a prayer in hopes that something sticks. But we can be more precise in the way we pray. We can be spirit-led in how we pray. And if you'll listen as you pray or even before you pray, you'll hear the Spirit of God on the inside of you say, pray this. Now, why would he say, pray this? Well, one reason. He's saying, pray this so I can do this. He's saying, this is what I want to do in you. This is what I want to do for you or through you but I need your cooperation with it. So you pray this so I can do this. And that's what's happening right here in these, in these verses. He said, I bowed my knees to the, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And this is the prayer that he would grant you, that he would give this to you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. So this is what he's saying, pray. Pray this so I can do this. Don't be, don't be confused. Don't wonder about the will of God. Find out from scripture. Go to places in scripture that say, this is the will of God for you. You don't have to be confused. He's saying, pray this, why? Because evidently, this is what he wants to do. He wants to strengthen you on the inside. Where did, the, where did he say the strength was gonna take place? In the inner man. He's not talking to him about putting on physical weight. He's not talking to him about building muscle mass on the outside. And folks, I wish you could pray for that. I wish all it took was faith to increase muscle. <laughs> but let me just tell you, I'm a living testimony. It takes more than just that. But he's talking to him about building strength on the inside. Or you could say it like this, getting bigger, right? on the inside, the same way somebody would get bigger on the outside, the same way they could enlarge. You can get bigger on the, on the outside. You know that, I know that. Most of us are not the same size we were 10, 15, 20 years ago. What happened? It changes, it can enlarge. And that's where I'll leave that. But on the inside, you can get bigger too. You can get bigger, you can get stronger, you can open up, you can widen up. Now listen to why he would have him pray this and why he wants to do this. 
that Christ, verse 17, may dwell in your heart through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able, he said, verse 18, to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height and to know the love of Christ, which passes all knowledge. How can you know something that passes knowledge? Because you're not dependent on experience. You're not dependent on your experience. You're not dependent on somebody else's experience or their lack thereof. You're not dependent on any of that. That's not the, limit, the, the limitation to what you can know. You can know something on the inside and you can know it so well, you can know it so strong that your head's going, what, what, what? I don't get it. Tell me, tell me. And your spirit's just going, shut up. You'll get it later. It's coming alive. Why? Because you can get bigger on the inside. You've got more capacity for more understanding, for more knowledge, for more revelation in your spirit than your brain could ever dream of having. Your natural mind, your natural understanding. But so many people, this is where they get hung up. They can't get past this thing, this eight pounds or whatever it is of brain matter, whatever, I don't know what it is. They just get hung up right there. Can't get out of the head and into the heart. Out of the head, into the heart. And he's praying that you and I would enlarge and get stronger on the inside. Why? So that Christ can dwell in you. So that he can dwell in you by faith. And so that, man, we read these words and we're like, oh yeah, that's good. No, listen. So that you know and comprehend. What's comprehend? Means you get it. You have this working understanding of it. Of what? The love of Christ. Now Satan has worked so hard to get these little, just these little sayings in your mouth over and over. And people say them and it sounds so good. We could never understand. Huh? Oh, we could never comprehend the love. That's not what that just said. He said, I pray that you would comprehend it. Now, I'm not saying as long as you live on this earth that you'll ever understand all of it, but why can't you know more about it today than you did yesterday? Why can't you live in a greater degree of it today than you ever, ha ever have before? And what about tomorrow? And what about the next day? And what if you just kept progressing and progressing and deepening and widening in your understanding of the love of God? Who would you be 10 years from now? Somebody else, I'll tell you that. Why? Because you increased your capacity to receive. Got bigger on the inside. Because you got more head knowledge, you memorized more scripture. No, the inside got bigger that you would know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. These are two different types of knowledge. We've already talked a little bit about it, but there's, there's knowledge, like, like we've said, book smart, but then there's knowledge that you press into that even if you haven't experienced it, you press to experience it. I don't know if I'm saying that the best way. Let me give you an example. This is how I've always seen it clearly. 
Let's say you're going to go on a trip and you're going to get on an airplane here in Colorado Springs or Denver and you're flying to the other side of the country or maybe somewhere else in the world. You're going to get on that airplane. I'm going to give you two choices in pilots. Option A, option B. Option A is, uh, let's say this guy, he's a high time pilot. He uh, flew in the military. He's seen combat. He's got combat experience. He's been in every imaginable emergency situation, let's say. Uh, let's say that after he retired military, he went and flew commercially for another 15, 20 years. And this guy has, I don't know, 15, 18,000 hours in the cockpit of just every imaginable airplane you can think of. He's got tons of experience. That's option A. Option B is a guy who subscribes to like eight different airplane magazines <laughs> and he's read airplane books. He's seen Top Gun like 12 times, okay? He can point at airplanes and say, oh yeah, that's a this 18 and that's a this 22 and this has that fuel capacity and this range and he's got lots of knowledge. The only issue is he's never actually flown one. Who you want flying? Hmm? This guy's got tons of knowledge. I mean, he's read book after book. He can draw airplanes. I know we're talking about not letting a lack of experience limit the expectation, but here's the reason why. If you will go ahead and expect, expect bigger than you've ever seen before, expect bigger and more than you've ever experienced or more than what mom and dad experienced or grandma and grandpa or generations back experienced more than what your denomination experienced when you were growing up. If you will go ahead and expect it, that expectation will bring you to a place and it won't be long. You will experience it. You will have first hand knowledge of something that cannot be understood with the natural mind you'll be big enough on the inside to grasp it, to comprehend it. And what, again, what's he talking about? The love of God, which passes knowledge that you'd be filled. And here's where it gets real. That you would be filled with all the fullness of God. That's a lot of God. Can you see how we've just read over these things? Oh, well, praise the Lord. All the fullness of God. That's, that's good, brother. What's next? No, you missed it. All the fullness of God? That you'd be filled with that? You're looking at you going, how is there even room enough in here to, to fit all that? I mean, he's not just big. He's bigger than big. He's the earth is his footstool. <laughs> he's so, he's so big. He's definitively big and he fits in here. How's that even possible? It's because you can be bigger on the inside than you are on the outside. People who knew Smith Wigglesworth, you may have heard that name before. He's a man who lived and preached a man from the United Kingdom. He preached, Chris, what years was that? That was the thirties. Yeah, early 1900s. It's a, just a fireball, Holy Ghost man. Uh, 
went out, dropped out of school, I think at six years old, something like that, went to work in a factory and never learned to read, never learned to write, but got radically saved and changed and became a preacher. And he was just kind of a gruff, rough guy, and which was fine. You know, he raised the dead. So be as gruff and rough as you want, I guess, as long as that's happening in your life and your ministry. But he was famous for saying, I'm a thousand times bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. That's revelation. That's seeing yourself in a completely different light than most of the rest of this world sees themselves. Limited by what they can understand naturally, what they can do physically. I don't care how smart you are, naturally speaking, you will come to the end of it. You'll come to the end of what you can figure out naturally. I don't care how strong you are physically, you will come to the end of that. At some point, there is, there is a weight, there is an amount that you can't move. You can come to the end of physical strength. I don't care how strong you are financially, how much money's in the bank. Maybe it's more that's ever been. Great. You can come to the end of it. You can step up and face something that's bigger than what you have the ability to, to fix, to move, to do. But if you'll learn to live from the inside out, you'll find out that there is no limit to how wide you can expand on the inside, to how big you can get in your heart. Enlarge my heart. All that to say, as we stepped over into this plan to expand project, I saw that in the beginning of it, Lord, you've got to enlarge our heart. But just in the days and the weeks that have gone by since starting that, I see it even stronger now. The heart, it starts in the heart. When I say it, I mean life. Life itself comes out of here. And I'll go even one step further to say, if there's something wrong on the outside, most every time, the first place you need to look is what's going on inside. Is this a problem with something that's going on in my heart? Now we're going to jump off into this together today, next week. And you start studying the heart in scripture. There's no end to it. You could look at it probably from now until Jesus comes to get us. And you'd never exhaust this subject of the heart. It's massive. It's huge. But it is the place from which life flows. Go back to Proverbs where we started to look just a moment ago. It starts where? In the heart. Proverbs chapter four. Everybody okay? Yes. Are you happy? Yes. Proverbs chapter four. Start in verse 20. He said, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them where? In the midst or in the middle of your heart. Now, if you go back and look at these verses, let me put the emphasis on a particular word in these scriptures and see if you can tell what I believe he's saying here. My son, give attention to my words. 
Can you hear that? My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them. Well, what is them? My words, my sayings. Don't let them depart from your eyes. Keep them. Keep my words. Keep my sayings in the middle of your heart. The reason I emphasize that is because you and I both know we're living in a world right now where you can hear from thousands of voices and they are coming at you day and night all the time. And if you just leave something switched on, you are never without an influence. You are never without a voice talking to you and how easily it would be to be so distracted in this life. And when there's that many voices coming at you, it can be hard to, to, to differentiate, to, to make one distinct above another. That's why you got to shut some stuff off. This is why he's saying, Hey, Hey, my words, pay attention to my words. And if you've got children, you know, you got to do that sometimes, depending on how long your lecture's going, you might have lost their attention a while back and you're standing there preaching at them and something shiny is just over your shoulder and they got distracted at that. Hey, 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 what do you got to do? Regrab that attention. Come on, my words, lock in on what I'm saying to you. My son, pay attention to my words, not those, not every other voice, not every other opinion, even those, those who you know, you love, you're close to them, just because they got the same blood flowing in their veins that you do doesn't make them right. This is where you got to go for right words. This is where you have to go for truth. You can't just find it any old place. He's coming. He's like, hey, 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 listen, boy, listen, girl, my words, my sayings. Keep them in your eyes. Keep them in your ears. Why? Because whatever's going in your eyes and whatever's going in your ears, it's headed somewhere. It doesn't stop right there. Help me out. Where's it going? Heart. It's aimed at the heart. Keep my words in your heart. Keep my sayings in your heart. Why? Well, here's why. They're life to those that find them. Now, his words are life, but they're not being everybody's life. Why? Because relatively few have actually found them. And finding's just the result of seeking. You find them because you sought them out. Their life to those that find them, their health to all their flesh. The word of God is life. The word of God is health. The word of God is medicine, but it's not being everybody's life and health and medicine. Why not? Because they hadn't found them. They're busy, busy listening to every other voice out there. Got the volume jacked up on every other voice except the one that actually can do something, that can actually minister life, that, act, that can actually bring health. But if you keep them in your heart, there'll be life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. Now with that in mind, you can see why he says this in verse 23, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. Keep your heart. Listen to some of these other translations. The New Living Translation of Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart. King James said, keep. This says, guard. Guard your heart. Now listen to these words. Above all else. Wow. Did the Bible just really say that? Guard your heart above all else? 
the Young's literal translation says it like this, above every charge, keep thy heart. So you see what he's saying, above all else, above every charge. Now remember what the book of Proverbs is. It's a father talking to a son. It's 31 chapters of this. And I used to think, you know, that's a, it's a lifetime of knowledge being imparted, possibly. Or it could have been one really long lecture. <laughs> You've probably had some of those from your mom or dad before, right? A 31 chapter lecture on life. But this is what it is. It's wisdom from a father to a son. And if you go back and look at the, at the book of Proverbs, chapter after chapter, there's instruction. There are charges given. There's advice on every imaginable thing. He advises him on relationships, people to be in relationship with, people to not be in relationship with. There's wisdom in the book of Proverbs about finances, what to do with your money. There's wisdom in the book of Proverbs about legal situations. He's got wisdom for everything in here. And book or chapter after chapter after chapter, he tells him, son, do this, don't do that. Do it like this, don't do it like that. And it's charge after charge after charge. Instruction after instruction after instruction. But what did he just say? Above all else. Wow. Son, listen to me. I know I've said a lot to you in your life. If you don't get anything but this, get this. Guard your heart. Yeah, but what about what you said about relationships? Guard your heart. Yeah, but what about all those great nuggets of wisdom you had for me about my, my finances? Guard your heart. But you, dad, you had such great counsel. I love what you said about these legal situations and what do I do in this case and in that Guard your heart. Can you hear the weightiness of this command? Above all else, above every other charge, do what? Guard your heart. Keep your heart. Because out of it, he said, flow the issues of life. Now, other translations bring out what, that, what he means by issue. We think of, I've got an issue with this or I've got an issue with that. There's probably some parallel there, but what, he talks about the springs of, of life, where life is springing up from, the issue. And that's what you would say if there's a spring of water coming out of the ground, it's issuing out of the ground. Guard your heart because life is issued up out of that place. It springs up from out of that place. And the problem is, if that gets contaminated, come on, are you listening? What happens if the source is contaminated? The supply is contaminated. Everything that comes from the source has that toxic material in it. You see this in the natural. If a city's water supply gets contaminated at the source, they have to issue, you know, alerts all over town, across the city. Don't drink the water. It's bad. It's wrong. Don't, don't do it. It's, it's, it's toxic. It's not healthy for you. This is what he's saying about your heart. Guard it. Keep it. Don't let toxic things in it. When you find something that's in it that doesn't belong in it, get it out. Why? Because all of your life starts with your heart. 
starts in the heart. And if what's coming out of the heart is pure, everything else in life is pure. If what's coming out of the heart is clean, everything else is clean. But he said, it's up to you, right? Guard it, keep it. And the, the, the word guard sort of paints a picture of somebody standing guard, right? Even militarily, they're armed. There's, there's a gate that they're guarding and they don't let anything in. And that, that's a good picture to paint when it comes to your heart. But couple that with this other word, keep it. Keep it. And then connect to that, and this is what we'll look at in time. Jesus compared your heart to soil. Soil that seeds get planted in. So you can think of guarding it like standing guard, right? Or you can think of it as keeping the way somebody would keep a garden. How does somebody keep a garden? Especially somebody that's good at it, right? And you can tell, can't you? One that's been kept and one that's not. One that's been guarded and then mine. You can tell. Somebody who's good at keeping it, they've got an eye on it. And not only are they not letting things from the outside that don't belong in there, not only are they keeping those things out, they're looking for things that are springing up that should never have been planted to begin with. And we're gonna talk about some of these things together. And I'm gonna say something to you, and I am not overstating this. I'm gonna prove it to you with scripture in time. This will save your life. It'll answer questions. But if you will guard your heart and keep things out that don't belong in and be quick to uproot things that got planted maybe decades ago, it'll prolong your days. You've already read, it'll be health to your flesh. It'll be your life. If you'll do what? Guard it. Can you see now why he would say above all else? Because you can make some mistakes in this area or that area, and we have. We've all made mistakes relationally. We've all made mistakes financially or even legal situations or any of the number of the things that, that, that Solomon wrote to his son, gave him wise counsel on, look, we've missed it in these areas. We've made mistakes in these areas, but here's the big one. Guard your heart. Because if your heart is guarded, we can fix all this. There's, there's mercy to spare for any of this, but you don't have to guard that heart with all diligence. Go to, go to first Samuel. While you're looking for first Samuel, uh, chapter 16, I want to put a couple of scriptures on the screen for you. It starts in the heart. You're looking for 1 Samuel 16. I want to put up Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. We'll start in the New King James Version. Let me give you a couple of translations of this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. You've heard this before. It says, The Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division. Listen to this between or the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. This is how, this is how sharp, this is how precise and alive the word of God is. It can get down to the smallest, tiniest, narrowest little place 
the division of your soul and your spirit. There is such a fine line between soul and spirit that many people never learn to tell the difference. Many people who don't even live aware of their spirit, something's affecting them and all they can see is the soul, but there's actually spiritual implications at stake. And even people like you and I who know that we are a spirit, our spirit's been born again. There are things that can affect you and you think, well, this has to be God. Well, take it back to the word. Is it, is it in your soul or is it in your spirit? That, that's a whole other study in itself. But listen, he said, it's a, it's a two-edged sword. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Listen to this next part. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The New Living Translation says the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes, it exposes. When he said that word naked, this is what he's saying. It exposes our in, innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes and he is the one to whom we are accountable. Everything he said is naked. Everything's exposed. Now, remember what he said before it. The word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart and everything's exposed. I am so thankful for clothes. Can I get an amen from anybody else? Love covers a multitude of sin and so do clothes. I am so grateful that that's a part of our culture and society. It, uh, for lack of a better word, hides things, you know, stuff that you just don't want. Well, we don't have to get into all that. But people have mistakenly thought that the way you cover yourself with clothes, that you could actually also cover and hide thoughts, motives. They thought that the heart was a good hiding place. People have thought you could hide some stuff there. That as long as I didn't let it out of the heart, as long as I kept it, you know, hidden in there, I could say some things and I could say them in a way I could carry myself. I could act in a way I could present a certain persona. But as long as I keep this stuff hidden in the heart, hiding from God is futile. It is a colossal waste of your time to try to hide anything from him. Ask Jonah. Ask Jonah. You know what I'm talking about, right? Here's a guy, here's a prophet of God who the Lord spoke to and said, go to Nineveh, prophesy against that city. And Jonah said, I ain't going to Nineveh. He's afraid for his life. So what did he do? He tried to hide, right? He ran in an effort to hide from God and he bought a ticket on a boat 
And I imagine he went downstairs in that boat and found the darkest, smallest corner of that boat on the bottom level, just got as alone and in the shadows as he possibly could be. And as soon as he got quiet, he looked over and there was God going, what's up? How you doing? Where are you headed? He's running, but tell me, is he hiding? No, all things are open. It's all naked and laid bare before him, the things of the heart. And, you know, his story gets worse before it gets better, before it gets worse again. Uh, That storm came, right? And Jonah stands up and it sounds like he's preaching. And he's like, it's because of me, this storm has come. Throw me into the sea and it'll stop. It sounds real noble, right? He's still running. Now listen to me. He thinks that he can escape in death. Death is not an escape. Trying to take your own life in an effort to run and hide from God. Throw me into the sea. He's not saying that like real noble. You know, God will take care of me. You'll be safe. Bye. (laughs) He's trying to end his life. He'd rather try to run and hide in death than submit to the plan of God. But as soon as he hit that water and he's submerged and going down, he looks over and God's like, what's up? (laughs) Isn't that what David said though? There's nowhere I can go from your presence. If I ascend into the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. It's all open to him. There's no hiding. Stick whatever you want to in the deepest, darkest corner of your heart. And God will be there to shine a light. It's all open. What am I saying? Quit trying to hide. It's a waste of your time. It's open to him. It's, it, it, it's naked to him. And he's the one you have to do with. He's the one you're accountable to. It's open to him. Get honest about it. And then God prepared a, a, a great fish that swallowed Jonah. Do you realize the Bible says he was in the belly of that fish for two days and nights or was it three days and nights? Then he cried out to the Lord, his God. How stubborn do you have to be to spend three days and nights in the belly of a fish and then go, okay, fine, fine. Because there he is wrapped in seaweed and stink and dead carcasses of of sea creatures. And guess who else is in there with him? God's like, what's up? I see you. It's like little toddlers who put their hands over their faces and go, you can't see me. You can't see me. God's right there. And finally, Jonah submitted, right? He said, fine, I'll go. And God, it gets gross, man. That thing, whatever it was, God made to swallow this man. There's a story that there was a a girl, I guess, in a a college, um, marine biology or some sort of class along these lines. And the professor was saying something. There's no sea creature. I, I don't know what it was. It could swallow a man whole or something like that. And And she raised her hand and said, well, what about Jonah? And uh, he said, it's not possible. 
And she said, well, when I get to heaven, I'll ask him. And he said, well, what if he's not in heaven? And she said, well, you ask him. You know, you know the rest of his story. I mean, God had this thing vomit him up on dry land. He went into Nineveh. He preached, repent. And God gave this city, this city that was so violent and so wicked, 40 days to repent. That's mercy. I mean, he could have said, if y'all don't hit your knees right now, I'm going to rain fire and y'all gone. 40 days, he said. And they heard it. The people, the Bible says, from the king down to the least of them heard it. They put on sackcloth and ashes. They repented. They cried out to God. And, and the Bible says 120,000 people were spared. And Jonah, do you, you would think, wow, look what God did. He got mad about this. You know what he did? He went out to the edge of the city. Let me get out of town where God can't see me. And he sat under a tree to wait and see what would become of the city. And when God didn't rain fire, you know what Jonah said? This is why I didn't want to come here to begin with. I knew, I knew you'd be merciful. Oh, he's, he's irritated at God because God didn't kill the people. He was wanting to see some fire. He's like, I just went through all that. I want to see some people burn. And it, it, this whole little thing went on with him and God, but the whole thing what I'm drawing your attention to. No matter, no matter where he went to hide, whether it was in the, the belly of a ship or the belly of a fish, God was there. There was no hiding. There are no, there are no things you can hide no matter how far you try to bury them in the heart. It's open. It's open to him. Where are you right now? Oh, uh, 1 Samuel. You have just another minute? In 1 Samuel 16, just start at verse 1. Let's read this story. I like this. It says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? And Saul was the king that Samuel had anointed at God's direction to be the first king of Israel. Now it's an amazing story. I think we touched on it just a little bit last week at Dedication Weekend. But Saul, the Bible said, was a, a, a good looking guy. You remember, were you here when we talked about that? He's tall, he's handsome. I think the Bible said he was head and shoulders taller than anybody in Israel. When the Bible says you're handsome, you are good looking. We know that he came from a family that had some money. And this particular day in his life, his father had sent him and his servant out to go find some lost animals, some lost donkeys. And they were out three days looking for these donkeys, couldn't find them. Saul ends up running into the prophet Samuel. And he said, hey, I'm looking for the prophet. Didn't know who he was talking to. Samuel said to him, I'm the one you're looking for. The donkeys have been found. And in the same breath begins to explain to him and unfold to him the bigness and the magnitude of the call of God on his life. He said, and upon whom is all the hope of Israel? That's what they wanted was a king. And even though you've got Saul, who's this tall, good looking dude, rich, got it all going on on the outside. As soon as he came face to face with the call of God on his life, his words were a window to his heart. Because what he said to Samuel was, why do you talk to me like this? One translation is like, why do you talk to me like I'm somebody special? He said, am I not of the least? 
He said, our tribe is the smallest of the tribes of Israel and my family, the least of that tribe. Even though he was big on the outside, what was wrong? Small on the inside. And Samuel said, listen, I'm going to anoint you and I won't take time to go through the whole thing, but he anointed him to be king. And in the chapter, just a few chapters before where we are right now, where he was anointed, the Bible says that from that time forward, God gave him another heart. He gave him another heart. God had to go to work on his heart. But at some point he lost that heart. He rebelled against God. And now in chapter 16, the Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice. I'll show you what you shall do. You'll anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, I come in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves. Come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab. This is Jesse's oldest, his tallest, his best looking. He looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Now, why would he say surely? Because this one looks so much like the last one. But God had to correct him. In verse seven, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I've refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For, the, for man looks at the outward appearance. Say this next part with me. But the Lord looks at the heart. Don't look at the outside. Now Saul, we already saw this, had a lot going on on the outside. But the heart was nowhere near ready. God had to give him another heart. But when Samuel saw Eliab, he said, yeah, surely this is it, right? I mean, he's the oldest of the sons. He's, he's tall, good looking guy. Looks a lot like the last one God chose. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful about looking at the outward appearance and assuming something about the heart. The outward appearance is not always, and I would say probably very seldom is, an accurate indicator of everything that's going on in the heart. And God's having to speak to his man here, get your eyes off the outward appearance. I don't look there. I know it looks like what I've done before, but that doesn't mean a thing. I'm looking somewhere else completely. He doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart, the heart. Now you know how this goes. One son after another, Jesse marched him in front of Samuel. And because Samuel shifted his eyes and what he was looking at one right after another, he said, nope, he's refused him. He's refused him. He's refused him. None of it was based on anything going on on the outside. It was all based on what was going on in the heart. He's looking for something that he's not seeing. He refused him. He said in verse 11, Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men, young men here? He said, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him. 
for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is the one. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Here's what's interesting. And I'll say this and we'll be done. What do you know about David and his heart? Now listen, you know some things he missed it in, right? He missed it big time and some serious issues, some sins. He missed the mark in big ways. And yet the Bible says of him that he was a man. Come on, help me out. After God's own heart. And that's what God said of him, even in the, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, I found in David a man after my own heart who will do what I tell him to do. Isn't that interesting? That with Saul, God had to put a different heart in him. With David, it was already in there. That heart he'd been looking for. Do you know that God will pass over thousands of sons? He will pass over tens of thousands of people that look qualified, that have got the resume, that have got the experience, that have got the education and got the knowledge, and he'll pass right over them looking for heart. Looking for heart. I think it's the book of Isaiah that says he scans, his eyes look throughout the whole earth to and fro, searching for those who he can show himself strong to whose hearts are loyal to him, whose hearts are full towards him. He's looking over the whole earth. Give me somebody I can show up big for. Give me somebody I can show myself strong to. Give me somebody that I can get access into their life. Give me somebody. And he's looking and he's looking and he's looking and he has to look throughout the whole earth. It's like radar. Dude, dude, dude. And he's scanning and he's scanning. And you think, well, God, there's millions of people between those dudes. And why didn't you do anything? Looking for heart looking for heart. And heart's one of those things, you know? You ever heard the expression, you know it when you see it? God knows it when he sees it. Because it's his own heart. He sees his heart and he's scanning the whole earth looking for his heart. And what happens when he starts getting close to you? Right? Right? Is that what you want happening over your house? Is that what you want happening over this house? A, a house full of people whose hearts are full and whose hearts are loyal and whose hearts are wide open and expanded. Do what you want to do. Fill me with the fullness of God that I'd comprehend the width and the length and the depth and the breadth. What is that? Width, right? Length, depth. Height. That's love in 4D. So expanded on the inside. And he stops at you and says, I can do something with this heart. But God, I, I, I didn't even go all the way through college. I know. 
but, but Lord, I missed it over here. Yeah, I know, I was there. <laughs> Lord, I failed over on this thing. I, I, I've never got, no, listen, listen. I'm looking for some heart. I'm looking for some heart. You ask any self-respecting coach, who do you want on your team? I'll give you this guy who's got a bunch of talent. He may quit on you halfway, but here's a guy. He's a little loose. Uh, you know, he kind of trips over those left feet, but he's got all heart. Any coach will tell you, give me heart every time. Every day, all day, give me heart. I can work with ability. I can work with talent. That can get better. What can't get better is somebody who has no heart. I want a heart. Last scripture and we'll be done. We're talking about David, so let's go to the book of Psalms. Psalm 27. Musicians, you guys come on up. David said in verse, Psalm 27, verse 13, he said, I would have lost heart, lost heart. Other translations say, I would have fainted. We might say, I would have quit. I would have thrown in the towel. I would have lost heart, David said. And if you read the Psalms and you read his life, you understand he faced some pressure. He faced it for long periods of time the pressure to quit, the pressure to give up, the pressure to faint. Go ahead and put it back up. I would have lost heart unless, unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What's he talking about? Expectation. Expectation. I'm not experiencing all that goodness right now. And he's saying, I'd have quit because of it. But most people are like, look, if I don't see some change, I'm done. If I don't see some goodness, I'm out. That's not what he said. He said, I would have been done. I would have been out if I hadn't believed to see it. If I hadn't expected to see it. I know I'm not seeing it right now. I, I, I know it doesn't look like anything in the world is going my way, but I am expecting to see the goodness of the Lord in my life. It's on its way to me. I'm on my way to it. And any day now, I'm going to be overcome and overwhelmed and overrun by the goodness of the Lord. And it's that expectation that's keeping the heart going. It's keeping the heart pumping. It's keeping the heart engaged. I'm not done. I'm not quitting. I'm not throwing in the towel. I'm believing. I'm believing to see it. It's on its way. The people look at you going, man, you foolish. Everybody and their dog hates you and wants you dead. And you go, not everybody. Not everybody. My God loves me. My God is for me. And all the time you're believing, all the time you're expecting, the heart's getting bigger, the heart's getting wider. And God's going, oh yeah, I could use this right here. He said, I, I would have quit. I would have fainted if I hadn't believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Verse 14, Wait. Be patient, he said. Be expectant. That's what the word wait means. Expect. All this has been about your expectation today. Expect the Lord. Be of good courage and he will strengthen your heart. He'll strengthen it. Isn't that what we talked about at the beginning of this today? That he goes to work on the inside, strengthening the inner man. If you will not quit expecting, 
No matter what you've experienced, no matter what anybody else has or hasn't, if you won't quit expecting, then what's happening all the time you're in faith, all the time you're believing, your heart's getting bigger, it's getting wider, and God's going, oh yeah, I can fit some healing in that heart right there. I can fit some good things in that heart. I can fit some revelation in that heart. I, you can get to the place where God says, all right, I can fit my fullness in there. Filled with the fullness of God. You wait on him. You keep expecting. And this, you know, I'm not talking about this kind of waiting. God, please hurry up. That's not what this is about. Look the word up. It literally means expect. Expect. I'm just waiting on the Lord. I can tell by the way you said it. You ain't expecting nothing. I am expecting. I am expecting. I love the picture. And you see this in the word of God. Uh, in, the, in the New Testament, it talks about a woman who's expecting child. Well, what's happening as she's expecting? Enlarging, right? As that expectation grows. That's a great, great natural picture of what's supposed to be going on in the heart. And with the passage of time, it gets larger. With the more expectation, it gets bigger, it gets bigger, it gets bigger. And if you will expect you will experience. Amen. Stand on your feet. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.